Would you please take your Bible, your, your Bible and turn to me, with me in the inspired, infallible, inerrant scripture to the book of Philippians chapter 3. In a message entitled, Crossing, Crossing the Finish Line. Crossing the Finish Line. Here's the big idea. With the grace and strength of God, no matter how difficult the challenges we face, we can cross the finish line. No matter how challenging life is for us right now, and it's very challenging for some of us, we can, by the grace of God, cross the finish line. Let's read our text together. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Everything I've ever accomplished, all of that, I consider it garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So brothers and sisters, at Celebration Church in Akron, Ohio. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forth and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Lord, your word is eternal. Your word is powerful. And we ask that today your word would impact our hearts in a significant way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. No matter how challenging life is for us right now, we can cross the finish line. Let's watch the story of one young athlete by the name of Ben Komen. There are days when Ben Komen leaves the family home on Knoxwood Court just as the sun is rising. Autumn days when he takes to the paths of Anderson, South Carolina. Along freshly painted picket fences and down shady old lanes, Ben Komen runs. 
I'm very relaxed. Nothing bothers me. I'm just off in my own little, little world where everything's perfect. He loves to run. A, a kid who we didn't think would ever walk, he just loves to run. 18-year-old Ben has cerebral palsy. He has limited control of his arms, and the stiffness in his legs makes it tough for him just to pick his feet up. He's had to sleep with a leg brace. He's had to undergo physical therapy. Still, Ben runs, and not just for the joy of it. Ben Coleman runs to compete. For the last five years, he's been on the cross-country team at T.L. Hanna High School. Even if someone says, no, I can't, I like to be able to go, yes, I can. Uh, it used to really bother me to have people saying, oh, look at that funny-looking, funny-walking kid. Now, if they can say all they want, I'm still going to do what I do. From his earliest days, what Ben Komen wanted most was to be on a team. But Ben and his parents could not find a team that would let him play. They were happy to have him there if he was sitting on the bench, or they were happy to have him there if he was satisfied being the water boy. He wasn't satisfied, and neither were we. Then at the end of seventh grade, Ben learned that eighth graders were eligible for the high school cross-country team and his mother phoned the coach. I felt like I needed to call and let him know that there was something a little different that he might have to contend with, you know, that he might be a little slower. He has cerebral palsy. I said, no problem, bring him on. And, and she told me that, that, you know, he had a condition, and, and I told her, I said, don't worry, we'll take care of him. I was just really considered part of the team. Nobody looked at me weird or said, what's he doing here? Uh, they all were just like, coach, come on, let's go. Most runners take about 20 minutes to complete a 3.1-mile course. Ben needs more than twice that long, 45 minutes that rack his uncooperative body and test his spirit as he falls far behind everyone else. Ben's one of the most competitive kids I've ever seen. You, you've got to be competitive to, to almost never beat anybody, to constantly try to beat your time. And that's what Ben wants to do. He wants to beat his time. It's sometimes hard to keep going when I'm all by myself. I get nervous sometimes out on courses that what's going to happen if I fall and can't get up again or if something happens, what am I going to do? Because I do sometimes get lonely. But as Ben would continue to run, he found that he was not alone, that some competitors who had already completed the course and others who care about him were coming back to run with him. I feel very, very blessed to know that everybody's so willing to, to come back because I know they're all tired because they've already run their race. I just feel happy knowing that they're willing to be there and they're watching out for me. They would cheer him on, 
and they would help him up the times when he would fall. My head. My head. Every time he falls, my heart stops until I see that he gets back up and he keeps on going. I worry a little bit that he's, he's going to get hurt. I know that it's going to affect his, his race time for the day because it discourages him more than it hurts him. Is it hard for you to see him fall now, though? Yes, but I never let anybody know it. it it's tough. Just seeing a kid that, that's that motivated, that, that wants it so bad, it gets you pretty emotional. I, I've had to admit, and I've never admitted to anybody, I, I've shed a tear. Amid the gathering dusk towards the end of this course, Ben falls again. <laughs> gets to his feet, and then his three siblings, Megan, Alex, and Chris, accompany him as he pushes himself to the finish. A wave of exhaustion just, it hits like a, a brick wall right at the end, along with the pain. Everything that should have hurt two and a half miles ago from the falls, that's when it, it kicks in. All that can cloud this moment is the knowledge that, as a senior, Ben has just one cross-country race left. What are you going to miss most about? Being part of the team, having all my friends there. In his final competition, the regional championship, which his school hasn't won since 1993, Ben must once again contend with uneven terrain that can make him trip or slip. As Ben crosses the finish line comes the realization that for the first time all year, he has broken 41 minutes. He broke it. 41. Make it. It's pretty official, Ben. Congratulations to you. And after he gets cleaned up, Ben Coleman stands at the end of his high school career before his family and rivals and among his teammates, just as he always dreamed he would. Not as the special one, not as the different one, but as a winning one. A member of the Hannah Yellow Jackets champions of their region. <laughs> through a childhood challenged by others' constraints, through five years of cross-country practice and competition, Ben Komen has been running all his life, not from something, but towards something. And in some ways, he has finally gotten there. What did running give you that you wouldn't have gotten any other way? 
gave me a place to belong. A place I could say that I'm supposed to be. challenging life is for us, we can cross the finish line. Our challenges may be physical, emotional, mental, relational, spiritual, or a combination of all of them. The Apostle Paul tells us, and this young man's testimony reinforces the fact that we can cross the finish line. Now let's look into our text this morning and, and see, see how all of this works together. Paul, of course, is writing this, this book from a prison cell. He's in jail not because he did anything wrong. He didn't steal anything. He didn't hurt anybody. He was in jail because he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, that which he had been called by God to do. He was in prison because he had been obedient to the Lord. And from that prison cell, amazingly, he is encouraging others. He's not feeling sorry for himself. There is not a hint of self-pity. There is no woe is me or what a bad life it has been for me. Or look what God has allowed to happen in my life when I, when I gave him everything. None of that at all. From this prison cell, he writes a letter that is filled with encouragement. Over and over and over, we see the word rejoice and be joyful. Because being joy-filled and rejoicing is not, is not based on our circumstances. It's based, on, it's based on our heart. It's based on our attitude. And from this prison cell, he also encourages, he encourages his, his fellow believers in Philippi, a church that he had planted several years prior. He encourages them to never, ever give up, to continue the race of life until they cross the finish line and receive, and receive in his words, the goal the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, if we're going to finish strong, if we're going to cross the finish line, three things we need to remember that, that, that are mentioned here in our text. Number one, we need to forget the past. We need to forget the past. See, Paul was very proud of his ancestry. Notice in chapter 5, he said, I... I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, a tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He, had, he came from really good stock. He, he, was, he was a thoroughbred. He was a thoroughbred Jew. He had great ancestry. He was proud of his orthodoxy. That is his strict belief. Notice, in regard to the law of Pharisee, he was orthodox. He, he was, he believed completely every word of scripture. He was proud of his activity. He said, as for zeal, persecuting the church. 
when Paul became a Christ follower, he gave 100% to, the, to, to his calling. So much so that he even persecuted, he, he had persecuted, before he came to Christ, he had persecuted the church. He was, he was proud of his activity. And then he said, as for legalistic righteousness, he said, faultless. He, he said, I, I was very moral. I was very moral. But then notice verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now, I now, I didn't used to, but I now consider loss. All of this, my ancestry, my orthodoxy, my activity, morality, all of those things I did before I knew Jesus Christ. All of those things I consider loss. He says it again in verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of this, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. Forgetting what is behind. The challenge for some of us is that we are holding on to the past. We're holding on to past successes, past failures, past hurts. Unrealized dreams. We're holding on to those. And the word of the Lord to us today is forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? We can apply this in a variety of ways. We can apply this individually, of course. We can apply this in our congregation. We are closing the door to this season of transition. And as your founding pastor, Dr. Dobbins, was fond of saying, in transition, before you can open up a door and walk, walk through a new door, you have to close the old door. Because if you don't close it all the way, you'll get your hand caught in it by somebody else that's trying to close it for you. And so we come to these seasons of life as a church when we say, we thank God for our past, we, we, we cherish our past, we thank God for our history. But if we're going to move forward, if we're going to be the people God has called us to be, if we're going to cross the finish line as a church, then we, we cannot dwell on the past. This applies to us individually as well. Not long ago, I was reading a little history of the Civil War, and I, I, read, I read about a post-Civil War conversation that Dr. Je uh, uh, General, General Robert E. Lee had with a family in the South. Of course, he had been a great leader for, for the Confederate Army. They had lost the war. And as he was visiting one of the families of the South, a well-heeled, well-heeled family, as they were walking across the plantation, they were showing him the ravages of war. And this building and that building that had been torn down, that had been burned to the ground by, in the midst of, of, midst of enemy fire. The lady of the house was particularly fond of one large oak tree. It had been on that plantation since she was a small girl. This large oak tree had been ravaged by, the, by enemy gunfire so that 
so that it lost its symmetry and its beauty was what well, just wasn't there anymore. And she was bemoaning that. She was, she was deploring the fact that her special oak tree would never be what it used to be. And she shared this with General Robert E. Lee, hoping to elicit some, some pity from him, some sense of empathy. After all, it was the Northern Army that had come in and, and, with, and had, had, with her gunfire had ravaged that tree. To her surprise, Robert E. Lee said to her, Ma'am, just cut the tree down. The war is over. Cut the tree down and move on. Cut the tree down and move on. And I'm wondering how many of us have a tree of sorts in our lives that needs to be cut down. We just need to let it go and move on because it, it, it's, such a, it's such a reminder of the past. I was talking, talking some time ago to a member of this congregation who has an issue with a former pastor. And as they were sharing, sharing this with me, I was listening intently. And I didn't, really, I didn't really have the opportunity to say then what I really probably should have said. But the fact is, we have to let those, those hurts go. We have to let the bygones be bygone. We have to let go of those past hurts. Because reminding ourselves of over and over and talking about them over and over will never, won't, won't make the, the events change. I would encourage us to be people of forgiveness, to be people of grace, and forget the past hurts. But not just the past hurts, but forget past successes because we can always be looking back at the past and say, wow, did we do some great things back then? But God doesn't want us to be chained to our success of the past. He wants us to free us to move, to enjoy the blessings of the present and the future. Past failures, we all have them. Every one of us in this room, every one of us in this room, have areas of our lives, things about us that we hope nobody ever would find out. We've all made mistakes. Some of them have become public for others to see. Others of us have, have done things that only we know. But Paul urges us this morning, forget the former things. Satan wants us to stay focused on the past. He wants us to, be, to have our eyes looking back. And as Ryan Adams will tell us in a few moments, you can't win a race if you're looking back. You can't win a race if, you've, if you're just always looking behind you to see what's behind. There must be forward focus. Forward focus. Forget the past. Now, it's impossible, of course, to completely erase the memory of the past. But forgetting the past means that we're not going to focus there. We're not going to, we're not going to allow the, the success of the past to keep us from, from wanting to realize the blessing of the future.
We're not going to allow the failures of the past to, to be a ball and chain to hold us from moving forward and stepping out in faith. Perhaps you took a step of faith years ago. You stepped out and things didn't work out as well as you had hoped. Now the temptation is to never take a risk, never to take a step, never to love again. We tried love once, we tried twice, it didn't work out. Why, why take another risk? Why, why, take, why love anyone? I can't trust anyone. Everybody, I've been hurt so many times, we say. The Apostle Paul encourages us to forget the former things and not dwell on the past because God is doing a what? He is doing a new thing. And it's impossible to see the new thing when we're focused on the old thing. You guys can preach this message for me. I may have shared this one other time. I'm not certain. But it fits so profoundly well here. Several years ago when Debbie and I were in a dark place, a deep, deep place in our lives. When frankly I wondered if I would ever preach again. I was in a season of personal transition in ministry. I was, I'd been set aside from the ministry for a season to refocus and heal and regroup. And Satan was, was I was going to say sitting on my shoulder and whispering, but that wasn't right because he was shouting. You'll never preach again. You'll never have opportunity to lead again. And there's a part of me that didn't believe it, but there was another part of me that was saying, I'm wondering, could that be true? And a friend from Atlanta, Georgia, Shell Osborne, sent me a picture through email. And here it is. Simply a picture of the rearview mirror and a windshield with all of the open land in front. I looked at that picture and said, why in the world did he send me that? What does that mean? And then I read a little further and he told me why he sent it. He said, John, remember this. The reason that the windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror is because where you're going is more important than where you've been. The reason that the windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror is because where you are going is more important than where you've been. And I say to you, my brothers and sisters, where you are going is more important than where you've been. God has a plan. He has a future for your lives, corporately and individually. And whether, whether you're in school, in middle school or high school, whether you're a young adult, a middle-aged adult, or you join the company of us who are in the latter stages of our lives. The fact is, as long as we are drawing breath on this earth, what God has in store for us is, cannot be calculated. Where we are going is more important than where we've been. Please don't try this at home or anywhere. But it is very difficult and impossible to drive by looking through the rearview mirror only. If you do that, 
you will likely be receiving a visit in the hospital from one of our elders because it's simply not possible to drive safely while looking through the rearview mirror and yet many of us are living our lives that way with the feelings of regret ruining the past yes some of us have made some difficult decisions some mistakes we've made some we made some bad decisions others of us are the uh, are living a life as a result of others poor decisions that have affected us in a negative way Others of us are just simply reeling from the effects of living in this world, just life and the accidents that happen, the things that take place. And to all of us this morning, I just want us to hear the word of the Lord, forgetting what is behind and pressing forward to what is ahead. We'll hear from Ryan Adams in a few moments, but I promise you, if Ryan Adams holds on to the successes of his junior year of high school in track and cross country and doesn't press forward, he will never realize, he will never realize his full potential. What, is, what he's accomplished is magnificent and rare, but it's not the end because where he's going is more important than where he's been. And what is true in athletics is true in our profession it's true in our marriage, it's true in our individual relationships, it's true in every aspect of our life. Forget the past. Secondly, the Apostle Paul urges us to focus on Jesus. To focus on Jesus. Notice verse 7, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider, and the word consider here is, is, a, is a word that a an accountant would use okay as they're as they're counting money and balancing the books it's a mathematical phrase it's a mathematical word I consider I count I count I consider loss for the sake of Christ what is more I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them what? Rubbish. Garbage. That I may gain Christ and be found in him. Debbie and I had the privilege of pastoring Kurt Warner for several years and his wife Brenda when they were in Des Moines. He later left Des Moines and became the quarterback for the, for the St. Louis Cardinal, Cardinals, Rams, yes, Rams, who then became the Arizona Cardinals. Did I get that right? Or he, he went to there, yeah. And so, and he won a couple Super Bowls, it was MVP a couple of times. Kurt found Jesus at, at First Assembly there in, in Des Moines, and we were privileged to be part of the discipling process in his life. And, Remember, he, would, he and Brenda would sit down in the front couple rows with my wife pretty much every, every Sunday morning, came to our discipleship class, our newcomers class, and really became, has become a very strong follower of Jesus Christ. I love to listen to his interviews because even following the Super Bowl win and even following the, the presentation of the most valuable trophy, player trophy, what does he do? 
he sincerely gives honor and glory to Jesus Christ. Not in a glib sort of way, but in a real way saying, I give all the praise to Jesus. He is a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. And all, the, all of his accomplishments in football pale in comparison to, to the fact that he knows Jesus. And that's why the Apostle Paul said, I consider everything a loss, everything. I count it as garbage that I may know Christ. One of the men who influenced my life as a young pastor, actually in, when I was in Bible college, was David Irwin. David Irwin was a missionary to the Muslims. He began what we now call the Center for Muslim Ministry. He was a very powerful man, a very strong man, a, a very brilliant man. He had received several academic degrees beyond, beyond the bachelor's degree. He had received many, many awards and, and for, for his ministry work, for his cutting-edge work with Muslims. And one day as he was driving home from church on a Sunday, a young lady ran through a stop sign and hit him broadside, and David Irwin was killed immediately, his wife sitting in the passenger seat. His son Paul came home from the mission field along with the other family members to their home in Springfield, Missouri to prepare for the funeral. As his son was going through the files in his dad's desk looking for insurance papers, anything at all that would give them any clue about anything they needed to know for the funeral, he came across a file in the D section that said D-U-N-G, dung. <laughs> he told me later, he said, I almost hesitated opening it. <laughs> he pulled out the dung file. And what did he find? He found all of his father's academic degrees. All of the awards he had been given, all, all of the certificates, all of the acknowledgement, even his ordination certificate as a pastor in the Assemblies of God, it was all in the dung file. Why? Because David Irwin understood this scripture. I consider everything to be dung to be rubbish, to be garbage, so that I can know Jesus Christ. And the, the call of the Spirit today, the call of the Spirit is that you and I would come to that place where we would say with the Apostle, everything, everything I've accomplished, everything good in my life, all of that, I consider it rubbish that I may, be, that I may gain Christ Notice verse 9, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Notice earlier he said, as for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. He said, I don't want a righteousness that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. A righteousness that we have not because we are good in ourselves, but because Jesus Christ 
is our righteousness. He paid the price. He died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And as we stand before the Father, we are declared righteous as if we had never, ever sinned. Because we focus on Jesus. No wonder then the apostle says in verse 10, I want to know Christ. He'd been preaching for over 25 years, filled with the Holy Spirit for over 25 years, planting churches and doing missionary work for over 25 years, and he's still crying out, I want to know Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is my all-surpassing righteousness. I want to know him. The power, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. I want to become like him in his death and so somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. My appeal, my appeal to you in this last Sunday, this last message as your interim pastor, is that you can, as you continue to move forward, that you focus on Jesus Christ. Because he is our sufficiency. We are so grateful, so grateful for the pastors that God is sending us. I just want to encourage us, let's not, let's not focus our eyes on them, but focus our eyes on Jesus. And as they lead us through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are grateful, we will honor them, we will bless them. We will submit to their leadership, always wanting to, to know Christ Jesus and growing in that relationship. Forgetting the past, focusing on Jesus. Because Jesus will never, ever disappoint. He'll never disappoint. Every human being in this world, no matter how good they are, no matter how wonderful they are, disappoint at some point because, because it is impossible for all of us, for any of us, to do everything right all the time. But Jesus will never, ever disappoint. And he will take us all the way to the, to the finish line. He will take us to the finish line if we'll keep our eyes on him. Wow. And then the third truth that, 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 I, that I glean from these verses of Scripture is that we need to forge ahead to reach the goal. We forget the past. We focus on Jesus but if, we, but if we're standing still, even if we're not looking back, if I'm looking forward but I'm standing still, I will not cross the finish line. It is essential, absolutely imperative that we move forward. That's why the apostle wrote in verse 12, not that I have already attained all this, or have been already made perfect. I love his honesty. I love, I love the fact that he says, I haven't, I haven't arrived there yet. It gives, that gives hope for the rest of us, doesn't it? But I press on to take hold for that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. 
I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In front of you, in front of us, is a bulletin board with lots and lots of medals, ribbons. I asked Ryan to only bring some of them because the platform wasn't big enough for all of them. He's an amazing runner. He's a junior at CVCA. I guess technically a senior now, isn't he? Because you finished your junior year. He's been an outstanding runner for a number of years. Following in the, in the footsteps, as it were, of his, of his older brother, who is a, who's a high-level uh, athlete, a Division I track program. I had the privilege of going to Columbus a few weeks ago and sitting next to Steve and Angie. They weren't reading the newspaper. They, they weren't even reading their Bible that day. They were watching their son race. They were, they were into it. They really, they were, they, they, they were so supportive of their son. And I watched him. The day before I got there, he, his, his, he anchored his team to a four by eight, which meant that the, every runner ran 800 meters, and then he, you know, he wrapped up, in, and they won the state championship at the four by eight. Then, the day I was there on Saturday, he won the 1600, which some of us old time, we, that, that's almost equivalent to a mile, okay? He won the 1600 going away. He got the gold medal. 45 minutes later, on a hot day in the 80s, when most of the other 800 runners had not run the 1600, Ryan came back and won the 800 meters. We're going to show you that race in just a minute. If I were running it, there wouldn't be time to show it because it would be too long. But with him, with him, it, it goes by rather quickly. I'd like Ryan to join me on the platform if you can. Would you, would you give God praise for one of your young men's celebration who, who's, who's doing such an outstanding job as a runner? Congratulations. Yeah. So, so obviously you train, you train lots. Uh, about how much do you train during or before season or whatever? What is your training regimen? Um, Off-season, we generally do uh, uh, higher mileage, hitting between 15 and 16 miles a week over the winter. Um, and then throughout the, the season, we start lowering the mileage and then uh, adding on in intensity, doing uh, various workouts that will really uh, afterwards, so they'll kick your butt and leave you laying on the ground. And our coach loves taking pictures and tweeting them and putting them on Instagram when, when we're all tired and uh, we're laying down on the track or uh, leaning on the fence. So. Um, <laughs> Very so very rigorous training. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So we're talking about here, the Apostle Paul said we have to forget the past, focus on Jesus, and, and then forge ahead toward the goal. So as you're in a, as you're in a race, we're going to see it in a moment, whether you're leading the race or whether you're, you're, you're not leading the race at the moment, which doesn't happen very often, what are, your, what are you thinking? What's in your mind? Um... When I'm not shutting my mind down, which sometimes happens just because it's, uh, it's easier, it's, um, it's basically just keeping it together and uh, saying this is my race and I'm running. Uh, 
anyone can do what they want, but uh, I know that I'm one of the fastest guys here, and I know that I can come back no matter how far back I am. And uh, even if I'm not ahead of the front, it doesn't matter if, uh, if you go through the first lap and you're in first place, because it all matters to uh, who crosses the finish line first. So you're, 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 you're focusing on running your race. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Is there a temptation when you've got a, especially when you're in a high a group of high caliber runners to tread, is there a temptation to try to run somebody else's race? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, you, get, you can get some, uh, some crazy guys going out in uh, fast times that they can't sustain for, uh, for a whole two laps and then they'll fall behind and you see that even in this race, uh, someone goes out pretty fast and ends up in fourth place. So I was thinking about that when I was reading the word in, in Hebrews chapter 12 where we're encouraged to run our race with perseverance, the race that is marked out for us. Okay. So you have goals. You have goals for your senior year. What are, what are some of your, what are a couple of your goals for your senior year and then beyond? Um. Right now, the way I see it, I can focus on uh, one of two events. Uh, since I did both the 1600 and the 800 this year, I'm looking at either focusing on the 800, uh, trying to get sub 150 and uh, go for the New Balance National title, or the what? Uh, what title? The New Balance Nationals. The it's national. A, yeah. What do you have to do to get to that? Um, I th you have to you have to register for it, and I'm pretty sure they go by time. So, um, what would that time be to get? Uh, anywhere from like um, I mean, from like. Uh, a 155 down somewhere okay. around there. You know, I did a two minute. I did two minutes in the 800 on my bike, and so, uh, so I can, I can, I can relate a little bit to that kind of speed. Okay, so, so that's your goals for what, any other goals for your senior year. Um, it's either going to be that, and one that I'm sort of like considering. It's it's much tougher goal. It's uh, going for the uh, sub four mile, which is um, something that only uh, six American high schoolers have ever done, and. Um, it's a difficult wow. feat to be sure, but um, so I'm going to be talking over that with my coach, and uh, whether it's going to be one or the other, I'm sure that I'll, uh, I'll be happy with what I choose. So. Wow, that'll be fun to follow that, uh, those goals. What are your goals beyond high school? You want to run in college? Yeah, I want to run in college. Um, it'll be a lot different level because uh, in high school, it's, uh, you face the same guys over and over, and, um, and it's just around the state, so... Um, uh, so going to a bigger competition area where it's not, or I'm not going into a meet automatically being like the first, the first guy, like the biggest competition, and having guys who are, who are going to push me and beat me by a lot will be a, well, it'll help. It'll be a little discouraging maybe at first, but um, at the same time, you know, you you got to run with uh, people who are better than you in order to hit better times. That's terrific. That's great. Thank you. <laughs> Would you join me in giving God thanks to uh, for Ryan and congratulations. God bless you. Okay, let's watch. Ryan is in the eighth lane, the out, one of the outside lanes. Uh, On your mark. We direct your attention once again to the awards area for presentation of awards in the girls 400 wheelchair race. Finishing in fifth place, Becca Haley representing East Canton. She's a sophomore with a time of 235.58. In fourth place, Emily Galatly of Southeast, a freshman with a time of 211.9. Finishing third, Morgan Hasbro of Briggs, a senior with a time of 120.33 seconds. Finishing runner-up in the girls' wheelchair.
Fields here at 400 was a freshman from McLean with a time of 117.2, Kaylee Hurley. Focus on Jesus, and we're going to forge ahead to reach the goal. The Lord gave me a scripture for us for today, and if, you're, if your Bibles are still open, I'd like you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So Debbie, if we bring those, uh, those bottles up, I'd appreciate it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. This is a powerful word. This is a powerful word for somebody here today. We are pressed on every side by trouble, but not crushed and broken. We are perplexed because we don't know why things happen as they do, but we don't give up and quit. We are hunted down, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get up and keep going. We are pressed on every side. Jason, I'd like you to join me if you would on the platform. He's my, he's my softball coach. He's a, he's a, uh, he's a very, he's a very strong guy. He hits the ball. He hits the ball like just unbelievably. Just when he hits the ball, they pretty much have to come out with a new ball after that because he just smashes it. Okay, strong. So here we go. We have two bottles here. Remember what the first verse said? It said what? We are crushed, or we are we are pressed, but we are not crushed and broken. Right? Right? Now wait. Okay. Look, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just crushing this bottle. I am so strong, okay? Just crushing this bottle, okay? I have the exact same bottle. The exact same bottle is here, and I'd like Jason, my coach, I'd like you to do the same thing with your bottle. <laughs> yeah, it's just not happening, is it? And why isn't it happening? What's inside? Ice. 
We got ice inside. Solid. Solid ice. Okay. You're off the hook. You're still a strong guy. Thank you. There you go. Here you go. You got a memento of your, uh, your, yeah, you do. Okay. We are pressed on every side, but not crushed and broken. Why is this bottle not crushing? Why can we not smash it? Because what's inside is stronger than what's on the outside. The strength on the inside is stronger than the pressure from the outside. That's what, that's what the scripture means when it says, greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. The one who is in us, the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. The power of God within us can sustain any pressure that comes from the outside. Any criticism from others, any disappointment from things in life, any, any attack of the enemy. Satan is strong, but he is not that strong because the one who is on the inside is stronger than the, than the force from outside. And that's what, that's what the apostle meant when he said we are pressed. We are pressed from the outside, but we are pressed, but we are not crushed and broken. Why? Because of who we are? No, we are we're, a, we're, just a, we're just a thin bottle. Yeah. I love it. We didn't even practice it. You've got it going. That's why Paul said, we have this vessel, we have this strength, power in earthen vessels so that the power can be of God and not of us. I don't know what pressure you're facing. All I know is that the one who's inside of you is greater than the one who's in, who's in the world. Isn't that a powerful truth? Forward, forging forward to reach our goal. I've got to wrap this message up. I've got to, I've got to land this plane quickly. But I want to do so by telling you a story about my race. It's not, they never captured it on, on video, <laughs> thankfully. This race happened, I hate to say this, this race happened 48 years ago. I had just finished eighth grade. I don't know where the decades have gone. But 48 years ago after eighth grade, in our school in Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania, we always had a track meet after school. The last day of school, they called it field day. Did any of you ever do that in your school? Okay. And everybody would go down and they'd ask, you know, you, you're supposed to participate. You'd run, you know, the 100 or the 200 or in those days it was yards. Uh, or, you'd, you know, you'd throw the shot put or you'd jump the high jump or you'd do hurdles. Pretty much everything but javelin. They didn't, they didn't think javelin was a good thing to do for, you know, people that hadn't been practicing. And they encouraged everybody to participate. Not everyone did, but many did. Well, I, I, love, I love track and field. I just, I just love, I love watching these great runners. I, I just was never good myself. But I, but I enjoyed running. I just wasn't very fast. And I knew I couldn't jump. I, couldn't, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't a good broad jumper or high jumper. Certainly not a pole vaulter. So what I did was I looked to see which event had the fewest runners. And it was the mile. There were 
there were four people that had signed up for the mile. Like the 100 and the, and the 200. I mean, they had like dozens of people. They had to run heats for those. So there's only four. I figure they were given three ribbons. And if I was only five running, I had a, I had a better chance. I, I wasn't very fast, but my math was pretty good. And I knew I, knew I had a better chance at, at, win, at getting a ribbon in, in the mile than any other event because of the sheer number of people. And so I signed up for the mile. It was the last event of the day. It was a cold, cold May day. And I took off my sweats. I got to the, the starting line. And one of the fellows looked at me and he didn't know who I was. I didn't know who he was. And he, he said, well, who are you? I said, my name is John. And he said, well, he said, I don't know why you're even bothering to end this race because I'm going to win it. And he's going to come in second. And these guys are third and fourth. And you will be dead last. Well, that was, that was, that kind of fired me up. That gave me some motivation. And so when the gun sounded to start the race, I sprinted down the track. I had never run a mile competitively before. I ran as fast as I could. And at the end of 100 yards, I mean, I couldn't even feel the breath of anybody behind me. Must, the way, must be the way Ryan feels most of the time. I was just right out there. By the 200, I was, still lead, I was still in the lead, but I could tell my lead was shrinking significantly. And I was feeling the effects of running fast for the first 200 yards when I hadn't done any training. And it hit me. I've got, I've got to do four laps. I've got, to, I, I've got to do this 200 eight times. I'm not going to make it if I keep up my current pace. And so I... I backed off. In fact, I backed off so much that by the time I had completed two laps, which is a half mile, two of the fellows had lapped me. Now, you should never get lapped in a mile, much less a half mile. These two guys, I, I am going really slowly. The young man we saw at the beginning of the service, Ben Coleman, was going much faster than I was going at that point. I was barely moving. Every, every muscle, there were muscles hurting I didn't even know I had. By the time I finished the third lap, the first two guys had finished the race, gotten their ribbons, got dressed, and went home. The other two guys were in front of me. I just didn't know how far. I was in dead last. I mean, by this time... But not, not only am I feeling this physical pain, you know, and feeling like if I, if I just coughed, all my insides would just come out on the track. I mean, I just felt awful. It was terrible. Felt like I had weights on my legs, my arms. And I was just going along. And, and then something happened. The students, they got into it. They started, they saw how slowly I was running. And so they started yelling things like, hey, Palmer, my grandma could beat you. <laughs> and I'm saying, I, you know, I know that, but don't tell everybody. <laughs> I heard another one say, hey, Palmer, you need oxygen. I needed oxygen big, big time. The one that really hurt was the guy that said, hey, hey, Palmer, you better get going because school starts again in three months. 
So in addition to this physical pain that I was enduring, now, now the jeering was happening. Not the cheering, but the jeering. There's only a slight difference in spelling, but a big difference in, in outcome. And so they, they were, and I was going slowly enough that I could hear all of this. And one after another, and, and so it was really, it was getting harder by the, by, the, by the second. By the time I finished three and a half laps, I didn't know if I could continue. And I, and I knew that before I could finish the race, I had to go by the student section again. And I wasn't looking forward to that. And then I noticed something that unusual. For this large track was surrounded by a, large, by a fence. And there was a, a gate in the fence. And it was open. <laughs> and the first thing that came to my mind was a scripture verse I had learned in Bible quiz. Behold, I set before you an open door. <laughs> and I thought, this is God's deliverance for me. I can just run out this, this gate and I'll never ever have to, you know, I'll, you know, I'll never see these. Because things, things were not going well at our church. My dad was the pastor. Things weren't going well. And I figured probably by next fall we wouldn't even be at the church. I probably wouldn't even be back at school. And maybe if we were, that hopefully everyone might have forgotten that, you know, that, uh, about the race. I thought I could just kind of go out there and then I'll get my stuff later and go home. And so as I'm going around the track, I had to, I had to make a decision. Am I going to finish the race or am I going to leave early? Well, I decided to finish the race. So I turned up through the track and I continued again. I'm the only one. By now, it's the last event. The, 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 the teachers are putting all the stuff away. Pretty much everybody is checked out except except my jeerers and so they're still waiting for me to come by so i'd head down the track ever so slowly but deliberately i might add going down the track and i heard again i heard the calls and then when i got from about here to that wall from the finish line i saw something that i couldn't believe the the third and fourth place runners had fainted on the track just short of the finish line, okay? And as I'm getting closer, I can, I can see them giving smelling salts to them. And I heard them, one of them say, you guys better get up or that Palmer kid's going to beat you. <laughs> I, have no, I, I, know, I have no idea how many minutes they were on the ground before I got there. All I know is that I said to myself, I'm not going to get beat by two guys who fainted and had to be administering salts on the track. And so the adrenaline kicked in. And I went as fast as I could. And those two guys, I can see it today, 48 years later, I can still see it. Those guys got up and they started crawling on that old cinder track to get to the finish line before I did. But I'm here to say with all humility, with all humility, that I beat them by about this much. And I got the third place ribbon. 
Now, some of you are saying it's been a long time. Memory fails us after that long. No, I still have the, I still have, I have that. Here it is. Okay, right here. We could just put it right up here with Ryan's, with Ryan's medals, okay? Here we go. Somebody take a good picture of that because right there, okay. It says, it says, Bloomsburg Area Joint Junior High School, third place, mile run. Oh, I was so excited. A couple hours later when I had the strength to walk home, I, uh, I got home for dinner and mom and dad said, so how was the day? And I told them and, and how, how was it? And I told them about the track meet and, and then they said, well, how'd you do? And I said, I came in third place in the mile. I mean, my dad was so proud. I didn't have the heart to tell him that only five of us entered and two fainted short of the finish line. <laughs> my dad being a preacher took that ribbon to church next sun the Sunday and he, and he held it up and told everybody about his son and how he, he won this race. Thankfully, nobody from my school came to our church, and so no one, no one ever knew the truth. So my mom took all, you know, you know how moms do. They, my mom took my, she took all my high school awards and stuff, and she put them, you know, they, they store them for you, right? And, um, and so mom put all mine, all of my awards from school, she put them in a little checkbox. Now, she didn't need that much room, but that was the biggest, that was the smallest box she could find. Years, years, years later, I've now graduated high school, I've graduated college. I'm a pastor in Athens, Ohio, planting a church. And things weren't going very well. It was a significantly disappointing time. I had such dreams and hopes for a church that would just that would just take off out of the starting gate and become large overnight. It didn't happen. It grew over a period of years and ended up being a strong church before we left. But in the early days, it was so discouraging. And I remember the time, I remember the time, Rich, when I was sitting in my office on a, I think it was a Tuesday, and I was really feeling down. No one had come to church the week before, the Sunday before. Even my, even my, the co-pastor, Ty Silva, didn't show up. <laughs> he was visiting his girlfriend in Missouri. No one came to church that day. And I was sitting there thinking, I, I don't know. I just don't know if this is going to work. And I was beginning to doubt myself. And I was beginning to doubt my calling. Have you ever doubted yourself? Have you ever doubted your calling? Have you ever wondered? So I picked up the phone and I was ready to call. I was dialing the Ohio district, the superintendent of the Assemblies of God churches in Columbus to tell him that maybe we need to get somebody else down here besides me because maybe I'm just in over my head. People had said to me, you can't start a church right out of college. You need experience to do that. But I felt God's call to do it and we move forward. But now I'm saying maybe they were right. We started a campus ministry there on the campus of Ohio University. That, that hadn't yet taken traction either, though it would later, later on. And as I was picking up the phone to dial, 
I looked across the room in that little office in that apartment that we had there on Carpenter Street, and I saw this box, a big brown box, and I wonder what's in that? My curiosity got the best of me, so I hung up the phone, I went over and I opened the box, and it was just a lot of stuff that from, from, my, from home when I was growing up. And right inside on the top of that box was this checkbox. And I opened the checkbox and right on top, as if God placed it there himself, was the white ribbon. And as soon as I saw the white ribbon, my heart started pounding real fast. I started sweating. I began to relive the entire race. I sat in my chair and I just, I relived every lap, the fast start, the really, really, really slow next phase, the jeering of the students, the open gate. I saw it all. Then I saw the end of the race. And I saw those two other runners on the ground, short of the finish line. And I saw myself finish the race and getting a third place ribbon. And the Lord asked me a question that day. He said, John, so how come you got this white ribbon? Obviously not because I was fast, not because I was in great shape, but because I didn't quit. Because when I had a chance to go out the gate, I chose not to. I chose to stay on the track. I chose to forge ahead to reach the goal, which was to finish the race and get a ribbon. Then God said, stay here. This is where I have called you. I, am, I will make a way. And I didn't make that phone call. And God, we began to see God's hand at work. Interestingly, our church really began to grow when Ty and I both got married Something about having those wives there that helped us. And the church grew. And many, many people's lives were transformed by the power of God. And across this country are, are people who are now in their 50s, who are college students then, who are coaches at Division I football programs, who are engineers, who are missionaries, who are pastors, who are school teachers whose lives were transformed by the power of God. I'm so glad I didn't quit. My last word to you today is that God wants every one of us to cross the finish line. And Satan will do everything he can to keep us from doing it. But if we will keep our eyes, if we'll forget the past, if we'll focus on Jesus, and if we'll continue to forge ahead, if it's ever so slowly, God has a way of helping us to cross the finish line. And then on that day, we will receive a crown of righteousness that the Lord, the righteous judge, will give us, not just to us, but to everyone who loves his appearing. For in the end, when Ryan Adams stands before the Lord, there won't be any of these ribbons and medals. 
and actually they will what he what he receives then will will far surpass these for he will receive a crown of righteousness he will receive well done good and faithful servant enter into the joys of my lord he will receive the gift of eternal life forever in heaven and all of the trophies and all the awards and all of the prizes and all of the accomplishments that we've had will just pale away in the presence of the one who called us to serve him. That's how we cross the finish line. Would you stand with me, please? Dear God, we praise you and we thank you for the privilege, for the wonderful, wonderful privilege of being your child. We thank you, Lord, that you love us with an everlasting love and that you put us on this earth to run a race. And frankly, Lord, some of us, some of us have really become tired. Some of us are disillusioned. Several of us perhaps have become cynical and some of us are so frustrated all of us, Lord, are, are being tempted. Every one of us is experiencing spiritual warfare in one, in one way or another. But I ask, Lord, that you would help us today to remember this word. And may this word stick with us for a long, long time. And help us, Lord, to run with perseverance the race that's been set before us. And in our moments of the deepest pain, and mental anguish and relational upheaval when our marriages aren't anything as we anticipated they would be, when our, when our family situations with our children and grandchildren seem to be just so out of control. I pray, Lord, when our jobs, our professional situations are not as, as, as we had hoped they would be, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to keep our focus and to remember what really really matters in the end lord you are the cornerstone of our lives our faith is in you and you alone and as we sing this song of praise lord i pray i pray that you would that you would help us to once again center our mind and our heart on who you are the cornerstone 